Being Reasonable, now heard on WHUP LP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. Fasten your I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs, and we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we speak with parish pastor Will Rose from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church and Lutheran Campus Ministry in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Pastor Will discusses his belief that people hold beliefs based on the lenses in which they see the world. I believe that people have beliefs based on the lenses in which they see the world. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, that, based, is that the belief? Yeah, yeah. So, so context. Context matters. And then when I come into contact with other people who have a different kind of context or different interpretation, I, I either resist or get defensive or grow and learn to understand a deeper understanding what, what they're going through. So I think that's important. I, of course, I'm a, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I'm a Christian. I preach from the Bible every week. So there are certain beliefs I have in terms of my worldview to, is a Judeo-Christian worldview. Um, but also when I come to the table with others who see the world a little differently, that's also really important too, to understand how they see the world, to grow from it, to think through those big questions with them. So You're presenting the belief that people have beliefs that are based on the lenses in which they see the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to understand maybe an example of what you mean. Yeah, so I guess I come from a stable family, good upbringing, mm-hmm. good parents, none of us are perfect, but but had a healthy upbringing, um, good community around me, good schools, good church. And so I tend to be a little bit more sympathetic and open and trusting of, say, like institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I'm presented with like an institution, my, my initial reaction is like, cool, like, oh, you're here to like help. But there are others in the world who either been not come from mm-hmm. a healthy gotcha. background or, or are abused or oppressed by institutions, you know, especially with what's going on this summer with people of color. When I see a police officer, I'm like, cool, they're here to help. Yeah. Others come and are like, whoa, something's about to go down. I'm going to be right. because of that. So, so that's kind of my belief coming through. So being able to listen to people who have a different context. So people have past experiences and it shapes how they see present experience. Oh, yeah. Yep. Is this a spiritual belief or is this a humanistic belief? I'm trying to understand yeah. uh, in a bigger sense where the belief comes from. I think it bleeds over. I come from the standpoint that there is no like this dichotomy, like spirituals over here, physicals over here. It's, everything is spiritual. Everything is physical. They're all interwoven together, that they're not, 
they're not separated, that they're all a part of our of our being. So yeah, it is something that deeply spiritual in terms of how we make meaning and purpose out of the world and how we see the larger universe and my place in it. Um, but I also think it, it can be also like a humanistic uh, philosophical point of view too. It's not just a religious, it can be all aspects in terms of how we understand, interpret the world and how we make meaning in mm-hmm. the world. Um, so, and, and I guess what I do within my own vocation as a Lutheran minister um, with the community that I'm entrusted with is that I'm challenging them to think deeper on those things and be more aware of, of how they're operating in the world. So why do you, like those questions that you asked me, why do you believe what you believe or how do you believe what you believe and how does that make a difference or impact in your relationships and in your, the communities and families that you're a part of? My goal is to help my parishioners, my community go deeper and to ask those questions too, to think through that, to be mindful of that um, as they navigate each day, each week in their lives. On a scale from one to seven, how confident are you that your belief is true? When I was an idealistic um, college student, you know, I was probably a six. All right. And then when I went to seminary, I was like, Seven. All right. And now I guess um, as I get older and I come more in contact with different people in the world and see the world differently, I think I, I, I think I have to have some intellectual and spiritual humility and 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 do like a five point five. Fair. And and that it goes. It depends on the day too. Yeah. I think there are some days when you're like, man, I feel really strong with what I believe when I'm doing, and then. There are other days where I'm like, is all this just BS and am I a sham and um, what am I doing with my my life? I think you, you got to be honest with those feelings and thoughts yeah. and, and doubts too. And it, it, I've heard it said before that faith and doubt aren't opposites. Rather, they're, they're great dance partners to help you move through the world, that they go hand in hand. On a scale from one to seven, how important is it for you to believe in things that are true? Uh, I would say very important. So yeah, six, 6.5. But I do think you need to hold to it, loo- uh, hold on to it loosely because what you believe is true one day as you evolve and grow may maybe be something that you're a different place in your life. Now there's you know research and data and science that that evolves as well, but there are definitely things that, yeah, um, I believe the Earth is round. They were spinning around in a galaxy with billions of stars. I, within our congregation, we have being um, right next door to UNC. We have uh, college professors uh, in all area of social sciences and and physical sciences. We have uh, professors of evolutionary biology, um, astrophysics, particle physics. So they bring in research and data. We're very pro science. Congregation. I'm a pro-science person. So yeah, you take those things in, but then as scientists will tell you, they are constantly trying to prove and disprove their own beliefs by putting it through um, all kinds of, of research and data. And there may be a certain article that comes out that challenges how we saw the world beforehand. And I think the same thing goes for philosophy and theology and, and religion. How do we know that your belief is true? Um, when I think about that question, I think, well, there's my own experience. I bring my own experience to to the table. And so my own life experience is a big part of that. 
And then I'm a relational being, so I'm in relationship with others who bring their beliefs to the table. And so we help each other understand that. So there's a certain level of, of trust that goes into other people's experiences um, in believing what they've experienced or believe as well. And then like with in the sciences, there's, there's peer review, right? So if I come... Um, if I come to the table with some kind of off the wall, brand new belief or thought, there are other friends and people who care for me and I care for them that can say, Will, have you, have you thought about this? Whether it's politically, philosophical, theologically, they can, they can say, Will, that's true, but have you thought about it this way? So I bring myself to the table and then I'm in relationship with others who have their beliefs and that we help shape one another. Right, so your belief that our beliefs are shaped by our personal lenses. Right. If that wasn't true, would there be a way we could discover that wasn't true? Yeah, it's a I think, difficult question, but yeah, yeah. I see where you're getting at. I, I, I mean, we're in the age of social media um, confirmation bias, where we're all in our own echo chambers and silos, right? So, in a sense, yeah, I'm in a relationship with others, but if I only, if I only hang out with those who only believe the exact same way I mm-hmm. do, then, then um, I'm. I'm not really challenged. So if I come in contact who believes differently or doesn't believe what I believe, how do I digest that and think through that? And I think that does, you have to come to the table with some intellectual and spiritual humility to, to listen to what they have to say. For instance, you know, like I said, like I tend to be more trusting towards like institutions um, and say like the police um, and, and in my congregation, I have um, police officers, and they're great. They're fantastic. But if I see on TV someone being abused by a police officer, that shakes my understanding of what that institution means to me. Yeah. And so part of my growth in, in having that belief challenged was maybe not all the whole institution is upstanding or, or right. Um, there's an injustice happening then, then I'd take time to listen to others who see that through a different lens. If everyone has their different lenses that they see the world, which shapes their beliefs, does that make everyone's beliefs equally true? Yeah, uh, great question. I think there's commonality with the lenses. So it's not just I have my lens, you have yours. There, there are common lenses we all share that we can, we, we peer through. I'm definitely not the person that anything goes because if someone comes to the table that believes in like white supremacy or should be <laughs> that other people are less than them or that there are certain humans that are rightfully better than others, then I'm going to say, no, I don't, that's not a lens that I think is healthy. I'm not speaking for white supremacists, but if a <laughs> white supremacist said that my lens, that I see the world, tells me that what I think about other people is not harmful to our society. How could we differentiate the truth value between the white supremacist belief and your belief? Yeah, are, are all things, are moral truths all relative? Is it just from one person's experience? I think that's a good one. I, I, think, I think there is an overarching while there are shades of gray in our society, there are things that we wouldn't have shades of gray if there weren't black and white as well. Um, so I think that is where we come to the table and think through um, the big questions 
together and look and see, again, listen to other people's experiences. Yeah, I, I'm not at a point where I could say, well, white supremacist, your lens um, is just as valid as my lens. Good people on both sides, right? You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of a thing where, no, there there are certain things that um, that when they play out, have an overarching moral truth to it. And, and how do you arrive at that? I think... So not all lenses are equally true. Right. I, w- I would definitely say that. But I, I think in our age of uh, pluralism and diversity, we need to be open and we need to have some intellectual and spiritual humility. Look at all things through a critical lens as well. I think that critical lens of, of asking questions of whether is right or wrong, or whether it's helpful or harmful, that that lens needs to be used just as much as as the leaf of what I grew up believing. Do you have an example when you've had a belief and then you've looked at it through a critical lens and then you've changed that belief? Yeah, good question. Which one do I pick? That's kind <laughs> of the one. Uh, yeah, there, there's definitely a, a number of those. I, I mentioned... Um, you know, I was in a seminary or, or college, more idealistic, confirming what I believe. And I guess I saw the Bible or scripture as being um, kind of this tight-knit, inerrant book that if you took away one piece, it would all fall down like a house of cards. Mm. Um, as I've come to grow and, and study the scriptures in the Bible, I see that it's, it's not just one big book written by one author, but it's a library of books written by hundreds of people over thousands of years that are looking at the world through a lens and trying to ask the big question, who is God? Who am I? And do I make a difference in this world? What's my place in this universe? Um, And so to be able to look at that as a diversity within the book has helped me not hold on as tight to certain beliefs. Say, for instance, um, like, like science, say like at one point in my life, yeah, the earth was created in in se- exactly seven days, and that's it said it in Bible, so that's the way it is. Well, um, now I look at it as not a literal science book telling us how the world is made, but it's more of a theological question of who is God and why we are here and, and why that matters. What do you think changed your belief? Um, I think moving from kind of a literal interpretation to more of a metaphorical, mythological spiritual understanding of, of some of those books that, yeah, I think the Bible did, there is definitely history there where people want to say, yeah, this person walked the earth and this, mm-hmm. um, Jesus did these certain things. Was there an event that happened in your life or you talked to other people or was a personal experience? Uh, it seemed like you had one view and then you came to a, a different view mm-hmm. and you mentioned that through the act of critically examining your beliefs, I'm just trying to understand yeah, yeah, you know, how point. it happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's not like, uh, and there's definitely people who have major faith crises and will just blow it all up mm-hmm. or just deconstruct the whole thing. I've never gone through a whole deconstruction phase and rejection phase. Mm-hmm. I guess it's been more of a gradual evolution of, of not, uh, I still hold scriptures in high regard and a, the rule and norm of my faith and our community, our church, um, but, but there's an evolution and a growth of looking at it in a wider, expansive view that um, adds depth to it. So, well, maybe this question will help. Yep. Tony is sitting next to you. Tony believes that the Bible should be read literally. It is inerrant. Yeah. It was words handed down from God. Mm-hmm. And 
to be a true Christian, you need to live word by word from the Bible. Right. You say that, well, that's not how mm-hmm. I see it. And you've explained how you've come to see things. How could we differentiate the truth of what Tony is saying relative to what you believe? Mm. I think we first find our common ground. If I was to talk with Tony, I would say, mm-hmm. okay, let's, let's find our common ground. We both have high regard of scripture. Mm-hmm. You look at it from a more literal and fundamentalist point of view. Mm-hmm. I come from a little bit um, more progressive, non-literary point of view, mm-hmm. but we both hold truths within this book in high regard and, and reverently. And then I, I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> Why do you believe these things like you're doing with me? How did you come to that understanding? Here's how I've come to, in my study and historical analysis and and looking at the history of, of how this book was put together and historic criticism and... Is there a truth there, though? Could it be said that Tony might be closer to the objective truth or you might be closer to the objective truth? And I'm not saying that you and Tony might be able to discover that together, but is there a truth there? I would say that, like, if he said... If Tony said, I, I would probably make the firm stand. If Tony said, nope, the King James Version of the Bible dropped out of the sky mm-hmm. from God's own hand and handed it to King James, and now this is sure. the word that is all—Jesus' letters are written in red, mm-hmm. so therefore he said it. I would be like, just historically, that's not how it unfolded. They, it was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and right. there's, we have all these different texts together, and we've discovered these scrolls and— um, archaeology and scholarship have had pointed the, to this, and and he may say that's fake news, or or come to say that no, that's just a conspiracy to water down our faith. I come from a point that adds a, a a greater depth, and so yeah, I think there is a point where I would say that's just not true. So you're um, saying that there is an objective truth there that yeah. it would be accurate to say that either Tony is more correct, yeah, or you're more correct. Mm-hmm. And I think overall, like historically, scholarship, um, research, I would I would tend to think that my side would be a little bit more objectively true, <laughs> but uh, because you can point to certain things within history and and scholarship that points to these things that that we know that people teach in schools. And if Tony said that may be all fine and good, but the fact of the matter is is that the Bible is still inerrant. And if there have been different translations, that's God too. Yeah, yeah. And to move away from a translation is to move away from God. Mm. Is there a way we could discover the truth in this situation? Or is, sure. that, not un- is that not yeah, knowable? Yeah, I think or? eventually we could do that. I mean, it'd be like uh, going to a conference on quantum physics, and there's uh, one professor who's like, ah, my studies point to this, and the other says, my studies point to this. How can we find some object? Now, the, the Bible is, there is a more element of, it's not a scientific book where we can sit down and, and kind of put on a scale his beliefs gets, uh, over mine. But if he were to make a claim that any other translation other than the King James translation is not authentic, then I think there's objectively we could go to like the original Hebrew and say, this is how this word can be defined in its original text. Yeah, uh, but if Tony so, said that God completely guided the hands of the people who translated mm-hmm. the Bible and 
So the way they translate it is the way that God completely wanted them to do it. Right. Are we at an impasse or are we... Yeah, there are definitely impasses. There yeah. would definitely be a point where it's like, well, if you believe that God ordained the King James Version and all others are false, then there's not much I can do to, to work with that right. other than say, I, I hear you. We're going to have to agree to disagree. There's different things we're coming at. Um, we do have common ground, but there's definitely places where we disagree in terms of uh, right interpretation. That lens we look through, what's the right, what's right. orthodoxy with polydoxy? You know, there's different versions of... Sure how we interpret and who we, what we understand. The reason why I'm going down that rabbit hole is because let's say we're sitting on our back deck here, <laughs> like we are, and uh, we have chickens running around like they seem to be, and that there is an even or odd number of chickens. I insist that there is an odd number of chickens. I know it to the bottom of my bones that there's an even number of chickens. You know it to the bottom of your bones that there are an odd number of chickens. Right. What could we do at that point to find the truth? Well, we have a couple options, right? We could, um, either one of us could get really defensive and say, I'm not budging. Mm -hmm. And um, and then even if you show me the number you had right, I could also come from a skeptical point of view and say, well, I was right. You just added a chicken here at the late end of the game to prove me, to prove me wrong. Assuming that we are wanting to discover the truth, you're saying that we could count them. Yeah, we come together and we gather and we, we look at what's around us. So if, we're, if, we, if there's collaboration yeah. and we can like work together, I think we can arrive at together. I think our congregation has done, had a grant to work closely with um, issues around faith and science. There's this stereotype that religion is opposed to science, and there definitely are some religions that are opposed to science, but um, our congregation tends to be pro-science, and so we wanted to break down the stereotype that religion and science are opposed to one another, and so... Well, to use your example, if you're sitting next to Fred, and Fred <laughs> is a scientist, let's say, and Fred doesn't believe in the virgin birth because he says that's scientifically impossible. Right. And you say, I'm not speaking for you, and you say something maybe a little different. Right. At that point, is what Fred and what you say truly compatible? Yeah, I think, I think we can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm a person of faith. So there are some things that you, you trust, even if you don't see the evidence in front of you, you particularly, you put your trust that maybe this, this thing is true. But there's also, again, that intellectual humility is like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It is scientifically, from a scientific point of view, it seems impossible. Are we in a situation like we are with the chickens? Can we just count them? Or is that something that we're at a bridge too far at that point? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's there are ways you can look at and say, well, let's look at the history of this religion and why do we believe some things and not others? Who are we trusting? Who's in, who's in charge or overseeing the narrative that is being told of the story? Um, within the virgin birth, we would say is the church, is the Catholic church that has passed this story down. We either believe the testimony and experience of those before us, or we just count them and say, no, that's, that's not true. But also, yeah, there, there may be some things that, uh, where we come to the point where like, yeah, we just arrived to our conclusions in different ways and agree to disagree.
there's an element of trust or faith that comes into like, yep, that seems impossible. What does this story mean? What's behind it? What is it trying to portray? What is it trying to say? Who Jesus is, why he matters or not. And, and by faith, what do you mean? Faith isn't necessarily ascribing to this list of intellectual um, tenets. It's more of a relational trust. So faith is trust. Faith is trust. And I'm going to put my headphones on because I'm having trouble hearing you. Sure. For those listening, they've decided to cut down trees next door. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying not to be distracted by the cool chickens that are literally on the porch, which is awesome. Yeah, faith faith is, is, is trust. All things being equal, would you rather have faith for the things you believe or would you rather have, quote unquote, evidence for the things you believe? Hmm. It's a fantastic question. And it's one I think about all the time. And I think that all people should think about all the time. When I was in college, seminary, young pastor, I leaned more into, as we said earlier, it's got to be either or. It's got to be either or. Either it's true or it's not. As I get older in life, I, I, I lean more into the both and uh, in a sense that, that they can, they, whether it's faith and doubt, faith and science, um, that these can go hand in hand and walk together. It doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and. So yeah, I, I do think there's faith um, ceases to be faith if I have all evidence laid before me. It's just like, yeah, those are the facts, right? Um, are you saying that faith is something that is used until evidence is come by? No, I think there. I think faith won't go away. Even if I have all the evidence in front of me, uh-huh. I still there's an element of faith that has to be there because I have to trust the person who gave me that evidence. I mean, for example, with the virgin birth, where Fred says, uh, I have evidence that there is no such thing as a virgin birth because that's impossible. And somebody else might sit next to him and say, well, I have faith that it is possible. Mm. And those would appear to be opposing. Right. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think it can go. It can be both and. Yeah, they can be both opposing but also still be in conversation with one another. But can those grow. be both true? Yeah, maybe. How so? Um, because all experience would say, yeah, someone raised from the dead or born of a virgin seems absolutely impossible. And everything else in all we've experienced is impossible. And yet there are those who claim this is true or experience that in their lives that have passed on this story to give hope to the world um, can also be true. I'm trying to get there. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying that all things are relative. All things are true. All things are false. And you know, we just all. Uh, I, I do. I definitely do think there. Yeah, you know, there are things in life where um, two plus two equals four. I, I guess um, what I'm saying is that right. Either. But, but there's also can... on the quantum level of science, there, there are some things that um, the Newtonian understanding of, of how the world operates, quantum physics has kind of th- thrown that upside down in a sense that uh, theory of relativity with, with Einstein about space and time, mm-hmm. yeah, there are certain laws that govern our universe that mm-hmm. are true, mm-hmm. but there's other aspects of quantum, quantum theory that will look at that and be like, no, 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 in this area, it doesn't work that way. So how can they both be true at the same time? Um, and I think there's elements of faith and religion and spirituality can can be kind of have that same kind of dynamic to it. 
So you're saying because of things like quantum physics, you could have a situation where there is a virgin birth and not a virgin birth. Mm. Is that, I mean, I'm not trying to word your mouth. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, sure. Okay. Um, I, where I am in my life and where I understand the Christian faith as a whole, I put my eggs in the basket of that the virgin birth is a part of is a part of the Jesus story. Yeah. But if there's a way to, but I don't hang, um, you know, my whole life and faith in me it doesn't hang on that one particular moment. There, if there's a, uh, if there's an element that is different from a different angle or can be true from a different way, then I'm, I, I think I could, at my point in my life where I can embrace that and think through that yeah. as well. Are there universal truths? Sure. Okay. Do we have yeah. maybe like... Yeah, I think and, I'm, and, and I'm not, and I'm not making, hopefully I'm not making a judgment call on the virgin birth. I was just using it as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see the world how you see it. Yeah. And well, your questions are good because they're trying to point out and articulate. Sometimes we do walk through life with, hey, this is where I believe this. Is where I am. Yeah. And and this is why I believe. But then to think deeper of going behind those things or what's at the root level or at the base, I think those questions help us think through deeper. What do we believe? What is true? Yeah, I believe in universal truths. I do believe that the arc of the universe does bend towards justice. Now, there are others who would say, no, we're part of a meaningless um, universe that doesn't care about whether you believe in love. So or- you're telling me that like the arc bends towards love, and that's universal truth, yet there could be another person who would say that life is meaningless and there's no purpose, and that is also true. Well, yeah, yeah. There, it could be nihilism versus purpose of the universe. Does the universe have a grand purpose, or is it just all meaningless? I'm not a nihilist, but maybe there are threads of nihilism that are part of the universe's story that helps it become who it is. Does that make sense? Are we left with the fact that your universal truth is correct, or are we back to that's just a subjective experience of what the world has to offer? Right. No. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. question. I, th- I think, again, I, th- I think it's both. We are left with kind of our subjective experiences, and at the end of the day, if we're on two opposite sides, we agree to disagree, we look for a common ground, and we continue the conversation, or we walk away from one another just saying, yep, you, we, you see it this way, I see it that way, and I think this universal truth is here. Underneath, I, I am a person who, whether it comes to math or science or even some of the big questions, I do think there are some universal truths that we're a part of in the universe. Yes, and so you're speaking to the heart of why I do the show, mm-hmm. and that is that we seem to be living in a time where different populations of our country have wildly different beliefs, completely different belief systems. These belief systems are taken as being universal belief systems when possibly they're not. Sure. And the fact that people are taking these thought of as universal belief systems as the truth, it's getting us into a great deal of trouble. 
We continue our conversation with parish pastor Will Rose as he discusses his belief that people hold beliefs based on the lenses in which they see the world coming up after this short break. Belief systems are taken as being universal belief systems when possibly they're not. Sure. And the fact that people are taking these thought of as universal belief systems as the truth, it's getting us into a great deal of trouble. That's, Absolutely. That's the premise of the show. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's fantastic. And I think um, I think of like Joseph Campbell— and uh, the hero with a thousand faces, you know, they, he examined the big myths and stories of the world and found common threads within them. Why is that? Is there a universal yep. um, universal truth within humans and how we make meaning in the world? And, um, and maybe I'm even thinking more concretely about it. 
in the sense that, for example, we're living in the midst of a pandemic and there will be a vaccine that comes out. Yeah. And if half the country believes that vaccines are dangerous and nobody should take vaccines and they're a government conspiracy, and the other half of the country believes that vaccines are very important and we all need to take them so we can live, there would appear, that could be wrong, but there would appear to be a universal truth there in the sense of what the country as a whole should do. Right. And if we're all living in our own relative... bias. <laughs> yeah. If we're all living in our own relative planes, then that's going to cause a problem. Yep. Yep. And, and so I the hard work, the hard yeah. work is... How do we keep the conversation going and not just like have a civil war over this right. or draw a line in the sand and just say my tribe's going to destroy yours because mine's right? Or is there a common ground where we can look at each other and go, okay, what's behind your fear? What's behind your question? Well, my fear is that you're not going to take the vaccine and that's going to keep keep me living this way that I don't want to live. Their fear is that like I don't want somebody controlling me or my kid to break out in another disease or, or whatever. Like, I, I feel like there's something behind this within how do we, how do we move the needle? Um, and, and, and I think as I think more and more, I believe that it's when you're in relationship with others and having conversation with others, that that's where understanding happens. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. I think that the power of conversation, like the conversations we're having now exactly, and Sometimes the conversation is easy and sometimes the conversation is anxiety provoking and probably more anxiety provoking for you than for me because it's easy to ask the questions, to be quite right. honest with you. Um, <laughs> but through the power of conversation, we can hopefully overcome these differences. And maybe I'm being Pollyannish about it. I don't know. But I don't know what else we have. What else? What other tools in the toolbox? Yeah. And I think the questions are good. I think there was a time in my younger years, even as a pastor, where I would I would get really defensive of the questions. Why are you questioning this or that? Um, you're just trying to tear it down and you're taking away this. Now I'm I'm more curious of what the question about the questions than I am the answers. Let's let's yeah. have the answers and and then this is what's gonna do. I guess more and more um, as I grow as a person and, and get older, I'm, I'm more curious of, of what the questions are than I am necessarily the answers. So, so your questions are good, not anxiety inducing at all, other than it's forced me to like, yeah, you're right. Like, okay, Fred and I are side by side, who's right or who's wrong? How do we know that other than just that's who we are? That I think those good questions help me go deeper into who I am, what I do, and what I hope to do with my parishioners and what I hope we can do in our country when we come election time and come when the vaccine will come. There's no doubt it's going to. And then who's going to who's going to embrace it? That's the question. Right. From doing this show, my and it's a it's just an opinion. I get the sense that when the conversations become more difficult is when my questions get at more of the supports of the belief. So if someone's worldview is a house and then there's the roof of the house and then there's the second floor, the first floor, and then there's the supports that I'm, my question is designed, and I don't mean to design this 
purposely, but my questions go about yanking the supports from the house yeah. instead of maybe debuilding a top layer of the house. That's when, if there is going to be a defensiveness that occurs, I think that's when it happens. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. And, and asking that question is good. Yeah, how, why do I believe what I believe? Well, I, it's my own experiences. It's, it's the community I was brought up in. What do I personally trust or distrust in terms of my background and what I bring to the table? And then, and as I grow in life, there's a there is a an evolutionary a growth, a deconstruction, reconstruction of terms of how I understand those things. And so some may just say, this house is no longer good for me. I'm 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 out. Right. And I gotta find a different house. There are some who say, I love this house. This is my childhood home, and I don't want anything to happen with it. I love and, how you extended that analogy. That's really Yeah, you know, yeah, and so was, yeah, do you blow yeah. it up, do you tear it down right. and build build a whole brand new one? Do you like the neighborhood, but you hate the house? Right. You know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah people have had horrible experiences with the church. And so they're like, I'm out, I'm done. Why and, don't people but they move still are to out. new houses as opposed to fixing a house with poor supports? Hmm. Do you think? Yeah, because I think we're complicated creatures that uh, um, that have conscious and unconscious ways of doing life. You know that there are things we know. Yeah, why do I why do I stay in a toxic relationship? Well, you know, all right, um, because I'm scared of what's on the other side. You know, why do I not move out of this house even though the sport's bad? I don't know where the other house is going to be or what neighborhood it is and who's going to be this and who's that. I think the fear of change is just as much. A fear as like maybe the house falling down, you know. Um. Yes. Um. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> did they have names? They all do. Yes. Okay, of course they do. Uh huh. That's Mimi walking down the stairs. And she's all right, Mimi. Just laid an egg, so she's. <laughs> when people have difficulty changing, sometimes it's not. It does. Sometimes it seems it has nothing to do about the discussion at hand. It is a visceral reaction of fear, just mm. fear of yeah. change. And like you said, yeah. fear of the unknown or fear of mm-hmm. what else? How could I not believe what I believe? What else am I going to believe? Or how could it be constructed differently? And and I find when I've done psychotherapy, that that seems to be a bigger boundary to change than the discussion itself. And I could be mm. wrong about that, but um, uh, makes and, sense. and that's kind of a personal experience kind of thing, but I think research would back me up on that. But that it's, you have to kind of tackle the fear. Kind of separation anxiety. You know, what, um, if if I move away from this certain beliefs, there there's a there may be some separation anxiety of <laughs> what's next and what's the next thing that I, um, yeah. Our our church um, has a really healthy campus ministry, so we have um, students coming from high school to college at UNC, and uh, they have their childhood faith, and now they're evolving into emerging adulthood. They're emerging adults, and they have to. What do I align with with my parents? and my church, and then who am I, and how am I growing as a person? Now, some go through the change of complete rejection. I'm my own person. All of it's BS. I'm going to do my own thing. And there are some that that integrate. 
some of what they what they grew up with and what they respect and believe, and they, they incorporate the new of what's going on in university. And I, I think that's part of our ministry is to be a pastoral shepherding presence in that, to, get, to give them permission to ask the big questions and to grow, uh, and to help them through this deconstruction, reconstruction of, of their faith. And so you weigh all those things, and I guess that's why I've emerged or evolved as you ask, why do I believe what I believe? There's definitely things I bring that are part of my support system that are always there and have always been there. And then I've, there's other aspects too where I'm, I'm able to embrace and help people ask the big questions and have them evolve and grow as, as a person. Why do, um, why do you think young adults are better at this? And I, I think clearly they are. Young adults are clearly better at making or adapting uh, religious changes or really any kind of change than adults are. Not to say that adults can't, but right. it's just clearly they can't. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, it could be the analogy of like, you know, when they get up in the morning, get out of the bed, they're able to go run a 5K. Whereas when I get out of bed, I need like two hours to drink coffee and stretch before I get any kind of, maybe we just get older, we just get set in our ways and it's harder to be nimble and quick and and more flexible, you know, but there are definitely young people who aren't, who are more idealistic and, and less flexible than I am. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. And as with age, I come to, as I've shared with age, I've come to embrace the both and rather than the either or, and I'm able to hold the tension between the mysteries a little bit more. I'm not, I don't have as much problem with the tension between things. So like, let's sit there for a little bit, maybe, maybe they both have an element of truth. Let's sit with, let's see what emerges. Whereas, um, you know, the, the young people in our community are like, nope, nope, we don't have time to sit with the tension. We got to, you know, we don't, there's a sense of urgency that if we don't do this now, then the world's going to fall apart. And you're right. Yeah, you're right. Whether it's Black Lives Matter or environmental things, you're right. There's a sense of urgency. I don't have time to sit comfortably and go, well, let's see how it all irons out. And, you know, da, da, there. so they have an elements of, of kind of, I don't want to say fundamentalism, but idealism that like, Nope, there, there are some things here that need to happen, but yet they're in that stage of life where they're, they're curious of some questions and thoughts and able to evolve and grow in ways that we haven't or are uncomfortable with. So. Yeah, yeah. And I like to try to tell myself that I know I'm growing older, as we all are, but if, let's say, voodoo was correct, Right. The practice of voodoo, sticking pins and dolls will get you to some sort of universal truth, and that is the true path to go. I'd like to tell myself that if it is true, I would be able to discover that. I would be open enough right. to discover mm-hmm. that truth, that I wouldn't be closed off enough about what other people are saying through conversation to know that is true. And I don't know that is true. Right, right. And so like, yeah, there could be elements of voodoo. Like you pick, you grab a doll and you stick with the pin and somebody feels it, you know, miles and miles away. Well, 
there, there's this thing in science called quantum entanglement where, um, yeah, there's this spooky action as distance where it does look like that things that are in relationship to one another does affect the other, no matter how far they are from one another. And so it was like, oh, there's a scientific truth behind what they're saying. But, you know, even this understanding of God as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's not that the church, early church said is uh, God is an old man, a bird, and a young Middle Eastern rabbi. Um, what what they're trying to capture in the mystery is that even within God, there is this dance of relationality between, even within the divine self, there's this relationality. Well, what we're finding in science is that that relationality is on deeper levels than we'd ever thought on the quantum level. And in the pandemic has shown us how interconnected we are that we maybe didn't notice before. So, so perhaps, um, yeah, I don't believe God is an old man on the sky sitting on a cloud making the naughty or nice list and ready to throw a lightning bolt on me if I happen to cuss in traffic. Like, that is not... There was a point when maybe people did, but there's a deeper... Maybe science and how we evolve and grow can help us understand underlying realities or the divine truths in ways we didn't know were even possible. So even on the quantum level... We could say like, ah, there's a connection there. Not that it's confirming what I already believe, but it helps me go deeper into who I already understood God to be as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That there's a relationality there that I never knew before that science is helping me understand. So I think that growth and understanding is, is where I've been in my life. And hopefully, as you say, continue to be open to that as I move forward. Um, so there, yeah, there may be aspects of Buddhism, um, Islam that I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, you're onto something, and that doesn't cause me to reject my faith, but maybe it helps me go deeper in ways that I didn't realize before. Hi, this is Mark Solomon, host of Being Reasonable. Do you like the show and want to help? Please subscribe to Being Reasonable as a podcast and maybe even write us a review. Thanks. From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week. You can't fake the funk.
called Funky. Enjoy Funk. listening to Being Reasonable on WHUP. If you have a belief that you wish to discuss, please connect with us through beingreasonableshow.com.
Something is better than something. 